0: Cluttered with pens up here at the moment. <clears throat> well, today we continue our look in the Psalms. We began a series on Psalm 23 a few weeks ago and uh, did a six-part series on that psalm. Um, but we're looking a little bit broader, um, or beginning a little bit broader today as we consider different aspects of the psalms um, over the next few weeks. So we're just going to pray and then we'll consider what the psalms have to say. Our Father, we just thank you that we can be here today. Lord, we ask that you might speak to our hearts. We thank you that you're a God who is living and active and you are able to um, pierce the very depth of our hearts and being and to um, reveal yourself to us. And Lord, we We open ourselves to you today and ask that you might uh, teach us and grow us and enable us to um, understand better what you have for us and to love you more. And so we commend our time to you this morning, now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have looked recently at just one of the Psalms, Psalm 23, It causes us to realize how full the Psalms are of help and hope and encouragement, challenge, comfort, teaching, instruction, personal reflection, and blessing for us, the readers of this wonderful collection of writings from various authors. And I often encourage people who are going through challenging times in their life to turn to the Psalms, whether it be going through difficult physical stresses or spiritual discouragements or fractured interpersonal relationships or struggles to understand what God is doing in your life. There's no better place to turn in the word of God than to the Psalms to find hope and help and encouragement. And when we consider the psalms in all their variety of literary types and contrasting content, it is good for us to ponder what is the intent of the psalms and to pose a question of the psalms. And the question that we may ask is this, are these psalms just random collections of writings with no apparent order or structure or form? Or is there reason and logic behind the way they are recorded in our Bibles that can help us understand why they were written? And I believe there is some logical structure um, to the Psalms. And today I want to begin a series looking at um, these Psalms that are not just a random collection, but are Psalms that have logic to them and have reason behind the way they are structured and even though they draw out the very depths of heartfelt desires and feelings of some of the psalmists um, god has seen fit to have them recorded in our our bible so that we might learn and grow through them so how are the psalms structured well if you were to read in a hebrew bible which i can't do Um, But you would find that there are five divisions of the Psalms um, which the Jewish writings have and the Jewish writers um, maintain that each of those five books of the Psalms parallel to the Pentateuch which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And it's interesting as you look through those five books of the Psalms, so they're basically the division of the Psalms is in that fashion. Psalm 1 to 41 is one book, Psalm 42 to 72 is another book, Psalm 73 to 89 is another book, and Psalm 90 to 106 is a fourth one, and Psalm 107 to 150 breaks up the Psalms into five segments. And one of the ways that we consider these psalms is to break them up into various uh, categories as well. But uh, how do we know that those those sort of book divisions are there? Well, if you turn to the end of each of those those books, um, you'll see that they all end in a doxology or a blessing and a praise to God at the conclusion of each of those books. And uh, maybe in your Bible you might even have those divisions being as book one, book two and book three and so on um, written into your into your bibles but if you if you turn to psalm 41 and um, verse 13 which is the last verse in that psalm this is uh, I repeated numerous times at the end of each of these books and it says blessed be the lord god of israel from everlasting to everlasting amen and amen it's the way they can that david concludes his psalm there then if you go across to Psalm 72 and at the end of that psalm and you look at verses 18 to 20, the last three verses of that psalm, concludes this way. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who only does wondrous things and blessed be his glorious name forever and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And so there's a distinct division and ending there to that part of the psalms, that book, number 2. And if you go across to Psalm 89, and the end of that psalm, we see similar words once again, verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen. And Amen. And then Psalm 106 and verse 48. He concludes this psalm with Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say Amen. Praise the Lord. And so we see this pattern of conclusions to each of these books. And then, when you get to the very end of the psalm, Psalm 150, the whole of Psalm 150 is really a psalm of doxology or praise to God uh, for His many blessings and all that He has done. Psalm 150, and we won't read that one all out, but just to conclude, uh, at the end of that psalm, he, he mentions every verse, mentions praise to God in Psalm 150, and praise Him for His work his acts that he has done and praise him for who he is and at the end he concludes let everything that has breath praise the lord praise the lord and so we see these five divisions and there's this uh, correlation somewhat with the uh, the first five books of your bible the, the, what they call the pentateuch and so it's interesting those divisions but another way that we can uh, look at the psalms is to divide them into various categories according to themes uh, which is what I aim to do over the next few weeks and consider ex- examples of the various themes that we come across uh, in these psalm categories. But before we do that, uh, what does the, the word psalms mean? <clears throat> well, the meaning of the, the word psalm, in the, the English word that we have, is taken from the Greek word psalmoi, used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was written uh, about the 3rd through to the 1st century BC. And uh, that word, psalmoi, means songs, which is where the English uh, word for psalms has come from. And so um, the psalms were really written as songs, poems and songs and prayers, and that word usually denotes that the the songs are played on a harp or some other stringed instrument like the cello or the violin um, which we do frequently here in this church so and that's really the meaning of the psalms. so songs which uh, have been written so that we might learn from them and many of the obviously the jewish songs are based on the psalms what about the authorship of the psalms Who wrote them? Well, there are quite a number of authors of the Psalms. They're often referred to as the Psalms of David uh, because 73 of the Psalms are attributed to him. Uh, Some of the other authors are Asaph, who was a Levite appointed over the services of praise under David and Solomon. Uh, The sons of Korah, who were doorkeepers and musicians in the tabernacle. Solomon is considered the author of two Psalms. Moses, the author of Psalm 90. Heman, one of Solomon's wise men, the author of Psalm 88. And Ethan, known for his wisdom during the time of Solomon, uh, was the author of Psalm 89. The rest of the Psalms are anonymous, however many of those may be assigned to David. And uh, many, many think that some of those were David's Psalms. So what are the, some of the, the categories that we can look and find in, in the um, Psalms? and uh, be able to lump some of the psalms together. Well, there are psalms of creation or nature, which talk about God's handiwork in creation and what he's done and the reason why we should praise him because of that. Then there are salvation history psalms, which are psalms which speak particularly about Israel's um, salvation from their enemies and uh, most specifically related to their exodus out of Egypt and coming to the promised land that we find in the early books of the Bible. So uh, there's a few psalms which relate um, to their coming across out of Egypt, across the uh, the Red Sea and um, through the desert and then into the promised land. There's penitential psalms, which are uh, psalms of uh, sometimes called lament psalms as well, some of those, which are really... Um, Psalms of requesting for forgiveness of God. Um, David specifically speaks uh, numerous times, um, confessing his sin before God and asking God for forgiveness and his grace to be upon him. Uh, There's teaching or wisdom psalms, uh, which are instructional in nature, teaching about God and teaching about uh, our situation as people under God. There's psalms of innocence which um, often the psalmist, uh, David in particular, uh, speaks of his innocence in relationship to things going on around him, that he's not the cause of the problem. Um, He's not saying that he is sinless, um, but he's innocent of causing the grief that's going on around him. And they're interesting psalms as well. And then there's uh, some specifically praise psalms, uh, psalms which are... um, declarative praise which is really talking about the acts of God and his goodness and deliverance Um, and then there's descriptive praise psalms which are are describing the attributes of God and what God is like and praising him for who he is Uh, then there's imprecatory psalms or imprecatory psalms, depends on the way you want to pronounce them, if you want to put the emphasis on a different syllable, you're welcome to do that Um, but imprecatory psalms are psalms of Praying down judgment um, upon people, um, asking God to bring his worst upon people. Now, that are very interesting Psalms because should we pray like that? Should we, should we pray for, for our enemies like David prayed for them? Uh, in one place, uh, he says, Can you break their teeth, O Lord, um, and um, cause them not to have any children? Uh, those sorts of things. So, very specific prayers to, to, regarding his enemies. Um, should we pray for people like that? Well, that's an interesting uh, question that we compose of those psalms and we'll look at those a bit along the way as well. And then lastly, there's Messianic psalms. Psalms are specifically right, relate to speaking about the coming of the Messiah and uh, what he is going to do and the fact that he will come and obviously it's future prophecy from the time that the psalms are written and uh, how Jesus fulfills those, some of those prophecies that we find ...in the Psalms as well. So that's just a few of the categories that you can find in, in the Psalms. There's, there's others as well, but they're some of the ones that we will consider... ...as we look through these Psalms over the following weeks. So today I want to consider one of the creation Psalms... ...which is what Psalm 104 is all about. Just as the Bible is a record of God's purposes throughout history... The Psalms also uh, reflect that purpose of God that he is bringing to his world. Uh, John Napier uh, said these words, The Psalms stress the activity of the living God. God is the God who creates, sustains, saves, reigns, judges, elects and reveals. And it's through creation that God first reveals himself and his work. So even though the scriptures picture God acting in history, in his dealings with mankind, how he's dealt with Israel as a nation particularly, and then other individuals, he first acts, though, in nature, seen through his creative handiwork. And creation and nature are the testimony to the whole world that there is a God who has designed and created this universe in which he has placed us. And one of the psalmists write in Psalm 14 that we are acting as fools if after looking at nature we say that there is no God. And so creation and nature point us to God. They point the finger to God and show that there is a designer behind this world. And so as you read through Psalm 104, as we have done, you will discover that there is a a rough correlation between this psalm and the Genesis account of creation. So let's consider this psalm for a moment and we'll just um, work our way through this, not verse by verse. It's a little bit long for that, but we'll uh, take out sections of it. So Psalm 104, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord. O oh, my soul, the psalmist starts off. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. And this is a, a personal reminder that the psalmist speaks to himself and reminds himself to praise God. It's almost like he's pinching himself, saying, Hey, get focused, you. Uh, we're talking about God the Creator here. Uh, how about some praise to this God? He says, Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. He's introspective and reminding himself to praise God because of what he's about to share. And I wonder if you've ever been in some special place gazing in awe at the wonder of God's creative handiwork. Maybe a sunset or an approaching storm or the lightning and thunder of the storm or some magnificent tree or flower and you've just had to lift up your heart and even Your voice in praise to God for what he has done. Just the beauty of God's creative handiwork. And in these next few verses, we see this downward progression as the psalmist starts with God in the heavens and then he gradually comes down to describe the picture of the work of God on earth. So let's just read a few of those verses for a moment. At the beginning here, he says, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honour and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariots, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever and so the psalmist starts off looking at God he says you are very great you're clothed with honour and majesty and before you look at creation you must look at God the designer and the creator of it all creation points to this God who made it and the problem with our secular world is that although they may appreciate nature, that is where the focus stops. And rather than looking beyond that to the God who created it, they pay homage to the creation and want to worship it. I'm sure you remember how Paul started off his, his letter to the Romans and just reminding of the, the downfall of humanity in its, in its sinful state. But he says these words in Romans chapter one and verse 20, "For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even so, uh, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. because although, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts." and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so Paul reminds us there that um, creation speaks of God, speaks of his attributes of creativity and power to design and put into place this universe. Creation points to the designer, the creator. And God is great. He's clothed with honour and majesty. He's covered in light. He is worthy of worship. And even as Isaiah did when he was confronted with this vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6, it it, it exposed his own sinfulness, but it showed the wonder and majesty of God and he bowed down to worship him. Now Paul writes at the end of um, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as he's finishing off his letter, in verses thirteen to sixteen he says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this command without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. Whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honour and everlasting power. This is the God who created this universe, the one who is, dwells in unapproachable light, the one who is holy and worthy of all worship. And then the psalmist goes on to say that this, this God stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And we know through looking at different parts of scripture that the different dimensions of heaven, we see Paul talks about the third heaven where God resides, it's God's abode. Uh, We know of the celestial heavens, which is where the the stars and the moon and the sun exist. And then we know about the atmospheric heavens just above our earth, um, which has the, uh, the force of gravity, it has the Um, clouds and uh, produces the rain and moisture for our earth in which we live. He speaks about the beams of his upper chamber which speak of the canopy that God designed around the earth, watering it before it rained and before the flood. If you remember that it didn't actually rain before the flood came and uh, God had designed the earth in such a way that there was this canopy around the earth which was like a mist that uh, enabled the watering of the plants um, on the face of the earth. If you just look at uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7, it says, God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Then Thus God made the firmament, or the expanse, and divided the water which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And then we go across to chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed the dust of the ground and breathed, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life And man became a living being. So we see that that God watered the earth in this way through this vapour canopy. Then the psalmist goes on here in Psalm 104 and he he speaks of God who watches over uh, his creation and points angels to minister to his creation, especially to humans, obviously, and we know Uh, this picture of angels being engaged in uh, working and doing God's will on earth. Um, Paul writes of the angels as uh, ministers of fire as well in his book to the 2nd Thessalonians, chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8. And he says, And to give to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to talk about some of the role of judgment and the role of the angels in that process as well. So then he then goes on to describe God's creation of the earth on which we live and how God sustains it and as you read through this psalm as as Andy read it to us before you realise how many times that water is used in this psalm and how God sustains his planet uh, through water and obviously without it um, we don't survive as a people and we know how messed up our world can be when Sin has caused great grief in our world, and so parts of our world lack a lot of water. Sometimes we go through drought and uh, how everything dies, pretty much. And so we realise the vitality of water to sustain our world. And he he mentions this in these following verses. He says, "'You laid the foundation of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. "'You covered it with with the deep as with the garment. "'The waters stood above the mountains.' And at your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went over the mountains, they went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. So um, sometimes uh, reading that, you might think that that's talking about the flood um, in Genesis chapter 7. Um, but it's really talking about the division of water from the atmosphere as God designed the earth and um, put the oceans in their places um, at that particular time. And he goes on to say, He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them, the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit. Of your works. And so this descriptive psalm moves from the macroscopic view uh, to the microscopic view, and to remind us that God is not only big and powerful uh, to create this universe, um, but that He's also interested in the very little things of His creation, the things that are even less significant than us the wild donkeys, the birds who sing on their branches, the cattle in the fields. And it's interesting how God is interested in those little things. Just want to tell you a bit of a story. Um, We've got a couple of friendly willy-wagtails in our backyard at the moment. Um, Well, they're not so friendly anymore, um, but they decided they were going to build a nest on a clothesline. And so that's what they've done. This beautiful nest has developed over a short period of time and just amazing the intricacy of the nest that has been built there and then obviously there were two eggs laid in that, that nest and then eventually there were some birds that came out of those eggs and so now there's two little birds that are growing very rapidly inside that nest but the, the parent birds have the audacity to tell us now that we're not welcome in our backyard um, and they don't want us there anymore. Um, and so that continues on I'm not sure when that will end um, but it's, um, it's influencing life in our backyard at the moment but it's just interesting how two little birds spend their whole time um, just protecting and providing for their babies in that nest and the, and the way they structured that nest with a perfect unity um, and balance in the way that nest is built. That's part of that's God's design, he created the birds to do that and um, We realise that God is interested in those birds. Even as he says here, he waters the birds so that they might spend their time in the trees. And I wonder if you've ever had any thoughts in any time in your life you think, is God really interested in me? Insignificant old me? Well, let me tell you that he is because he's even interested in these birds that we just talked about. But here he says that he's even interested in the sap in the trees. In verse 16, if you've got a New King James Bible, you find that it reads that way. If you have other versions, you miss out on that wonderful insight um, because it says something slightly different. Um, But here it says that God has created the the sap in the trees. Now, uh, that seems so insignificant to us. And yet that's the, the life force within the tree to keep the tree alive. And God has provided that. And so if God is interested in those little things, how much more is he interested in who you are as an individual, the one who's been made in the likeness of himself? Well, the psalmist begins to conclude his psalm on creation to remind us how dependent we are on God. And in verses 24 and onwards we read, O Lord, how manifold are your works In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable innumerable teeming things. Living things both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that leviathan which you have made to play there. These all wait for you. That you may give them their food in in due season. What you give them they gather in. You open your hand and they are filled with good. You hide your face and they are troubled you take away their breath and they die and return to the dust you send forth your spirit and they are created and you renew the face of the earth may the glory of the lord endure forever god holds our very breath in his hands psalmist is saying here he owns everything he sustains everything and if he steps back from his world his world falls apart and we might think that the world is falling apart now because of the destructiveness of human activity on the earth, but it's really, in reality nothing falls apart unless God says so. He controls all things, holds all things together in the palm of his hand. And one day he is going to recreate and renovate this earth on which we live to make it a habitat that again reflects his original intention of his creation at the beginning. And so what should our response to this God be as we see this psalm come to a conclusion? We'll listen to the psalmist in the last few verses, verse 31 and onwards. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord, the psalmist says, as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. He finishes the same way that he started this um, with praise to God who created this universe for his own glory. And he says that should be the heart response of those who acknowledge him as their God. Will we do the same? Will we acknowledge this God who created the world in which we live in this way? Will we reflect that in the way that we live, that we look around us and see the beauty of God's creation and rather than just acknowledging it as something put together well, we glorify the God who created it. That's what the psalmist is calling us to do, to look at what he's done and then turn your praise towards him as your God and your creator and the creator of this universe. May we do that as his people, recognise him as the designer of this wonderful world in which he's placed us in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work of creation. We thank you for your creativity your handiwork. Lord, we are the recipients of great blessing through your creation. And even though your creation has been marred in many ways, being a fallen world that it is now, we know, as the Paul writes in Romans, that creation groans awaiting for its redemption. And we know, Lord, we thank you that we can only have redemption through Jesus Christ, your son. and what he has done through his death and resurrection upon the cross for each one of us. And Lord, as we enter into relationship with you through through your son, we realise that we can know you personally, the living God, the creator of the universe, and how you're interested in the intricate and vital parts of our lives which we may not even share with anybody else. Even as you know all about the birds that... Fall from the tree. You know the hairs on our head. You know the anguish that we go through when things don't go well in our lives. And Lord, you're there for us. You are our sustainer. You're our comforter. You're the one that offers help and hope and purpose for life. And we thank you for the everlasting life that we will have with you through faith in your Son. Lord, we commit our lives to you today and help us to appreciate all that you've done and all that you are today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.